0: 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings 17. And uh, when you when you get there, the name is going to jump off the page that you recognize, that I recognize, and somebody that I I really enjoy looking at in the Bible. A man called Elijah. And uh, if you look at Elijah there in verse number one, the Bible says, in Elijah the Tishbite who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. And when you think about Elijah, I don't know what comes to mind. Most of the time what we remember about Elijah is that he was a hairy man and he had leather clothing and he came out of the wilderness, but there's really not a lot that we know about him except that he was greatly used of God, used in an unusual way. And because of that, we normally attach to him a great man of God or a great prophet. I spent a little time today just looking at some of the people's commentaries what did they have to say about Elijah? Was well, this great prophet, one of the most unusual prophets that Israel ever produced? And uh, I, I would take issue with that. I don't think a country produces a prophet. I think God's one that produces preachers. But uh, the truth is that when you look at his life, he's greatly used of God. And, and I would ask you a question tonight. How many of you think that we have a great God? Amen. Do you really believe that? You mean our God is a great God today, not just a great God of the past? How many of you think that God does great works today? Yes, amen. He does great works. And it would be really easy, and I probably have in the past preached on Elijah and talked about a man that God greatly uses. But that's not what I'm going to preach on tonight. Um, my brother cooks fairly well. How many would amen. agree with me on that? Yes. Right there? He cooks fairly well. Good. But I know some other people that cook well also. And a lot of times when you ask them, hey, could you tell me what is the ingredients in this? They'll say, well, it's this and this and this. And then there's some things that I put in here. Well, what are they? Well, that's a secret. I'm not going to tell you what that is. And I think what happens many times in life We have an idea that maybe a man is a great man or maybe somebody's a great woman. They have great ability. They have a great maybe foundation underneath them. but, But there's something that's just a little bit different. There's a secret sauce in there that makes them what they are. And tonight what I want to do is I want to preach about secret, the secret to the things that God greatly uses. Just some secrets to some things that God greatly uses right here in this passage. If you look in chapter 16, this is where we begin. I want you to get the background. Chapter 16 and verse number 30. Ahab, the son of Amri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. First thing I'd say is the rise of evil in the day that Elijah steps out is incomparable. Look at that word again. It says above all that were before him. Right. In other words, the wickedness had not risen to the level that Ahab was going to take it to. Right. Ahab was going to bring the word evil and wickedness to a new level. How many of you think that we live in a pretty wicked day today? I don't think that we've seen the end of that. It seems that men wax worse and worse. That evil grows more evil, more dark. That things that would surprise us, that would make us ashamed. Things that we would blush at maybe 25 years ago are things that are spoken about openly today and nobody even thinks anything about it. The language of today's society. You know, you have to be careful when you dictate to your device ...that your AI does not change that into the language that the world uses... ...because I have caught my device putting words in my text that I did not say. You know why it does that? Because that's the way society speaks. And all I'm just saying is that the level of wickedness when it comes to gender identification... ...when it comes to all the things in our society that would define immorality... ...like the days of Genesis chapter 6... Evil is on the rise. And I don't know whether you believe that or not. I don't know if you young people feel that or not. But I'm telling you right now, evil is on the rise in this world we live in. Well, that's what was going on in the I should say. And if you look a little bit farther in verse number 31, the Bible says, And it came to pass that it was a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. In other words, he made this guy that was totally wicked and abjectly an abomination in God's eyes. It, he, small things is what he was doing. That he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbael, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. So here's a king of a nation whose God is the Lord. And he is worshiping and serving Baal. You say, what's the big deal? I, you know, it seems like to me that today we live in, there's a lot of people that don't even worship and serve the true God. But definitely, Baal, Baal means Lord, capital, not capital L, little L. I'm glad there's only one capital L in the Bible. There's only one Lord. But they're serving. And look at verse number 32. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. He's building something. In other words, idolatry is being restored in the nation that was supposed to get rid of it. If you go to Exodus chapter 34, they're supposed to get rid of the high places. They're supposed to get rid of all the idols. And look at verse number 33. And Ahab made a grove. They're supposed to get rid of the groves. In other words, they're supposed to be getting rid of all these things that would turn the heart of men to a false God, and now they're being restored. They're being put back into place, into practice by the king of the northern kingdom, and God undoubtedly is angry with that. I'm telling you, I think God hates idolatry. He hates it. He's not going to share his glory with anybody. He hates idolatry. And the Bible says that the, the idols are being restored. I don't know if it bothers you, but it used to bother me when I would be in Detroit and other places and I would see mosques yeah. that were going up. It bothered me. Yeah. You say, why did it bother you? Because they're worshiping a false god. Right. It bothered me. If you look down a little bit farther, look at verse number 34. In his days, Hiel, the Hael, the Bethlehemite build Jericho. Well, you know, when you think about that, the background is... Evils rising, restoration of idolatry. But now there's almost a reclamation of the land that was promised to the children of Israel. Jericho's being rebuilt. Jericho was a place that the walls fell flat. Jericho's the first place that they conquered. Jericho's a place that signified not the end, but the beginning of victory and moving into the promised land. And now somebody is rebuilding that very city that they sacrificed their son to do that. So what I'm saying is this, the backdrop, of First Kings seventeen is that evil is rising, idolatry is being restored, and there is being a reclamation of the land that God gave. and And, and I hear it today, and, and, and sadly, I've been to enough churches and seen inside those churches where there are fewer and fewer people sitting inside the church house, and more and more people sitting down at the ball field and places of of, of, of entertainment. That the things that made America great when it comes to the Bible and preaching and faith in God, that those seem to be dwindling and seem to be waning and withering. And all of the wickedness that's going on in the world around us, if you're not careful, what it'll do, it'll drive you into this little holy huddle. And we're just going to gather around together. We're going to hold our breath until the rapture takes place. And then we'll finally woo, get out of here and we'll get to glory. I don't want to live in prison till Jesus comes. And so then look at chapter 17, verse 1. And Elijah. In the middle of all that, God says, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go ahead and do a work anyway. Evil may be rising. Idolatry may be restored. They may be building temples of Baal, the son of God, and worshiping him. But I'm not, I'm not done working. I'm going to keep working. And i got good news for Sweet Springs Baptist Church tonight. God's not finished working in our lives in this world we live in right now. But do you believe that? Well, I don't know. We need we need a great man to rise up again. And that, I want five things. Five things. And I've got my watch going, so I'm I'm watching the clock. You don't have to watch it. I've got I've gotten a little bit more I've gotten a little bit more aware of that now, after coming in late from work and getting going straight to the church house. I'm being a little bit more mindful of that. But I haven't preached in eight months, so I might give you the long version anyway. Amen. <laughs> Don't you see five things in this chapter that God uses greatly? And each one of them, there is a secret to God's usefulness of them. And the first one's right there in verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead. And that's all we know about him. Hairy man, wore leather. Came from Gilead, the mountainous area. But we don't know anything else about him. We don't know about his family history. We we don't know when he got called to be a prophet. We don't know anything about the circumstances that surrounded him. He is an unknown man of God. And that's all he is. Now we know, we read chapter 17 and then chapter 18. Oh my, look at this great prophet. Chapter 19, we see him call down fire from heaven. And we're saying, man, what a great man of God. But when he steps out in chapter 17, verse 1, he is unknown. He's not known to anybody whatsoever, anywhere. All he is is a man who has, are you listening to me? He has faith in God's message. You know, I I found this to be true today. I, I think today people want to be known. They want to be known. And we have facilitated that. Now, take a deep breath. I don't care how many followers you have on Instagram or Facebook or whatever else you have, Snapchat or Twitter. Or, I'm just saying we want to be known today. People today want to be known. Well, I've got 1,823,000 followers that, that follow everything that I say, everything that I post, everything that I do. We want people to know it. they're called influencers. It ama- I'll, read, I'll read an article that says this famous Facebook influencer died. What does that mean? What it means is that people listen to what they had to say, and they want to be known. People want to be known. Celebrities is what we call them. I tell you, I still feel the same way I did twenty years ago. I would not, I would not spend two seconds outside of some gala to roll the red carpet out and watch fake celebrities walk down the middle of the thing, get their pictures taken, sign an autograph. Listen, they're they're fake. They're, They're fake from beginning to end. My brother said the other day that John Wayne was bald. I still don't believe that. <laughs> they're fake from beginning to end, but they're well-known. And that happens even in our preaching circles. That's right. yeah, that's right. How well-known are you? How large is your church? How many books have you written? What, what invitations have you been given to go and speak and preach? Did you make this paper? Did you make this paper? Did this person reference you in a message? And we have built that in our, in our culture of being well-known. And you know what God says? I'm not going to use a guy that's well-known. I'm not going to use a guy that everybody knows where it came from, knows who his mom and dad are. But I tell you what I'm going to use. His name's Elijah, which means that the Lord is God. I'm going to use that guy right there. I'm going to use him. You know, that means he didn't have a ministry. What? <laughs> Elijah didn't have a church. No. <laughs> how many people run, Elijah? I don't even know what you're talking about. What do you, what do you mean, how many we run run? He didn't have a ministry. That's not the idea. The idea today is that you have to be known. And Elijah is not known. But I'll tell you what, here's the secret. Right, listen, here's the secret. He has faith in God's message. Look at it. Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand... There shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. He said, I believe the message that God gave me that it's not going to rain for three and a half years. And he took that to a wicked king, far wicked than anybody before him, in an evil time when idolatry is rising and it's out of fashion and he walks and he just appears. And he says, I got a message for you. Where is it from? It came from the Lord. And he had faith in that message. Do you have faith in the message today? Come on now, do you have faith in the message? I I believe that today we've lost faith in the message. How many believe that the the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation? No, we need a new method. We need a new message. You've got to figure out another way to get people interested. Know what you need? You need the story that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day, and he can forgive anybody of any sin they've ever committed if they'll just trust him by faith. Amen. Do you believe that message? Well, now, if you believe that message, would you tell somebody about that? Wouldn't you tell somebody? Do you have faith in that message? Or do you have faith in your ability? Yeah. Do you have faith in what you can say and how you can say it? I still believe that Jesus Christ is going to return just like you said. Do you believe that? Amen. Listen, if i said right now, how many of y'all believe Jesus is going to return? Would you raise your hand? <laughs> no, let, let's make it easy. How many of you think that Christianity lives like Jesus is not going to return? Would you raise your hand again? Yeah, right. I just made it easy for you. All you had to do was raise your hand then. Yeah, there's other people who don't live like it. Yeah, you're right. Do you know that, promise, that message is still true? Jesus is going to return. Just like he came the first time. Well, when somebody's coming to see us, don't we change a little bit about the way we live? Yeah. We change the way our life is structured. Listen, if, if we, if tonight when we closed our eyes, if we woke up in the morning and we were standing in heaven, how many of you think you'd probably do something a little bit different than you would normally? Yeah, yeah, Sure. He, was, he had faith in the message. There are a lot of people who say, well, you know, all that stuff's what they used to preach back in the 70s. Yeah, they used to preach it back in the 70s and in Paul's day and every day in between because Jesus said, I'm going to return. And that's exactly what he's going to do yes. one day. Yes. Amen. Amen. You still believe that Jesus can supply every need? Yes. You sure about that? In a bad economy? Yes. Come on, do you have faith in that message? Well, I can't tithe. Preach if I tithe. Oh, we won't have enough for our bills. Do you have faith in the message that he can supply all your need. you believe that? Amen. If you have faith in that message, then you know what you can do? You can be greatly used of God, but that's the secret in the recipe of the sauce. Do you believe that Jesus said, if you're coming to me, I give you rest unto your soul? No. How many of you how many have ever been on vacation and came back weary? Yeah. Yeah. You ever do that? We're going to go and we're gonna, I'm going to rest. And you don't rest. <laughs> you run, run, run. And when you get back, it's like, oh my goodness, not only am I tired, but we're, we're broke. <laughs> Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest, Rest for the soul comes from Jesus Christ. Do you believe that message? What I'm saying is the secret ingredient in God using an unknown man of God was the faith that he had in God's message. And every mother in here, every father, every young man, I don't care what society thinks, I'm telling you, the Bible is true. You have the right message. You just have to believe what you've been given. We don't need to discover something in the Dead Sea somewhere to figure out what God has new. All you have to do is believe those, those 66 books that you have, those promises are still just as true today as they were in the day in which they were written. Do you believe the message? I believe that message. Well, then maybe God could greatly use you. Yeah, but I'm a nobody. That's good. Because a nobody that believes a message from the king of kings is somebody that God can greatly use. Amen. Look at the second thing. Look at the second thing. Look at that verse number four. Verse number four, the Bible says, And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. God used some undesirable ravens. Anybody here ever had a pet raven? I doubt it. Anybody ever shot a raven? Crow, you ever shot one of those? You ever had anybody send you a picture of their favorite raven? <laughs> Undesirable bird. Blackbird. It doesn't sing, it squawks. I would do that again, but I'm afraid to be on recording. <laughs> Ugly, black bird. I mean, Edgar Allan Poe used that bird as an ominous thing to represent evil. It's an undesirable bird. And yet God says, I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Oh, my goodness. Have you ever seen birds feed other birds, little, little, little birds? My family, they still love them. My wife and girls, we'll will have these... Uh, I don't even know what they are, Martins, barn swallows, whatever. And they're not in the barn, but they build this little thing up there in our, the corner of the eve of, of the entry into our house. And, and those birds get up there and they'll, they'll fly around, but they, 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 that mother will reach over and feed. Have you ever seen the way a bird feeds another bird? Isn't that nasty? God's going to use a bird to feed a man. I don't want a bird feed me. And when I think about that, it's something that's undesirable. Something, if you look at, look what the Bible says he does. He says that in verse number six, and the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning. Well, a raven can't cook. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't care. I don't care. You can give him Gordon Ramsay's all, I, I, the best stuff Gordon Ramsay's got. He can't cook. He's not able. And yet it says that he brought him bread and, and he brought him flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening. That's twice a day. Isn't that right? I mean, y'all went to public school. That's twice a day. Yeah. Bread in the morning, bread and flesh, bread and flesh in the evening. That's something that bird was not able to do. You remember Moses told God, God, I cannot go and do what you told me to do because I can't speak. I'm not able. I'm just not desirable. I don't have the qualities that it takes to be able to do what is normal. And so many people, I think, give God that excuse. Think about this. They were. It's, very, it's unnatural for a bird to feed a man. Wouldn't you say that? Yeah, no. Come on, how many of you have worked at trying to feed a bird? Let's reverse it. Yeah. You're trying to get a bird to come in closer? Here, little birdie. My daughter's got three birds. And only one of them will come and step on my finger. And it only steps there for just a second. And as soon as I start moving this way, it moves the other way, unless I have food. If I have food, I can deceive it into standing there for just a little while. We have to work it. it. God says, I'm going to use something undesirable to meet your need. Something that's unnatural. How many of you think it would be unnatural for a bird to fly into somebody's house and pick up the bread and piece of meat that's on the table and fly out with it? Think for a minute. What What, What would happen if that bird did that in the morning? Your biscuit and gravy, out the window it goes. What would happen if that bird came back that evening? Yeah, you'd be ready, wouldn't you, Jimmy? I'm yeah. <laughs> not gonna get. That. Do you understand how unnatural that is for that bird to do that? And the number of days that those birds did that on a regular basis, putting themselves at risk, going back. And here's what I'm trying to tell you I'm, I'm saying this God used something undesirable. Somebody says, I don't have ability. I don't have personality. I got all things about me that are wrong. I've been divorced. I'm a single parent. I don't have the right kind of education. My daddy was a drunk. There's a hundred things that the devil tell you make you undesirable, unable to ever be used to God. And I'm telling you, that's a lie from the devil. God takes delight in using things that other people leave on the other side of the road. Yeah, but there's a secret that goes with that. And the secret is, look at then to verse number four again. I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So these birds, unnatural, unable, just yielded to the Word of God. You know, I I think we'd be a whole lot better if we just yielded the Word of God. When I thought about that in the Bible, how many of you think that it was remarkable that that whale swallowed a sour, bitter prophet? Don't you think that's amazing? And then threw him up on the ground, giving up his own life because God told him to. When it comes to the Red Sea, when it comes to the Jordan River, when it comes to the sun standing still. I know it's not, I, I know we're coming to the end. It's a Wednesday night. When it comes to the sun standing still, all God had to do was say, be still. Yeah. When it comes to the waves and it comes to the wind, He stands up and says, peace, be still. And it laid down. The wind laid down. You know, I think if you really want to be used to God, quit worrying about how undesirable you are. And just yield to whatever God has to say. Amen. It's good. Just yield to whatever God has to say. Okay, God, whatever you want. Whatever you want, God. Not about how desirable you are. How, how in shape you are, how well educated you are, how well funded you are, how popular you are. No, that's not it at all. It's just the opposite. The undesirable that just says, God, whatever you want, I'm willing to yield to your word. You say it and I'll do it. And if it means flying to somebody's house and picking up a piece of filet and flying back out the door and dropping it down to that prophet right there, I'll do it every day that you ask me to do it. And if you want me to do it at night, I'll do that too and won't complain about it. That's the secret sauce. Look at another thing. Number three. Oh, wow. Got 14 minutes left. And, you know, I I think I need to say this. You know, Isaiah 53, the Bible speaks about Jesus, that he was not comely. That there was no beauty that we should desire him. All these pictures about how lovely Jesus was. You know what made Jesus lovely? What made him lovely is he said, not my will be done, but thine, O Lord. He went ahead and was yielded to his father's will, whatever he wanted. That's why we love him, because he first loved us. I'm just saying that. Jesus said, not thy will be mine. Look at verse number nine. Here's another one. Maybe this will help you. I don't, I just, I'm just not desired. I don't have the education. I don't have the personality for it. Yeah. Just be yielded to God's word. Verse nine. The Bible says, arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon, dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. A weak widow woman. Yeah. Now, by the way, I, I think sometimes we add things into scripture. It doesn't say that this widow woman was a gr- woman of great age. In fact, it says she's got a woman that's got a son. So maybe she's not old at all. But what she is, is weak. In fact, she's so weak. Look at verse 12. She says, at the end of verse 12, behold, I am gathering two sticks. How many think two sticks doesn't build a very big fire? Two sticks? I'm gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it. And what's the last word in verse number 12? Come on, what's the last word? That's where she is. It's at the point of death. That's how weak she is. Weak. And sometimes, man, we feel so weak. We get to the place where we're weak mentally, where we're weak physically, where we're weak emotionally, where we're weak spiritually. And this woman right here, she is just weak. She doesn't have anything to offer. But what she does, look at the secret sauce. Verse, the Bible says there in verse number uh, 10, So he arose, went to Zarephath when he came to the gate of the city. Behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in the vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand." And she went ahead and she yielded to the man of God. I want you to write this down. She yielded to the man of God. We all have authority in our life. And some of the authority you have in your life you don't like. But she yielded to the authority of the man of God that God sent her (laughs) way. Come on, wait a minute. Come on, help me just a minute. So the man of God comes to her house. (laughs) And he says, "Fetch me some water. In the middle of a drought. I want you to get me some water. And then he said, now, I want you to go ahead and make, make me a little cake. She said, look, I've only got, I've only got two sticks, a little barrel, bill. I mean, I don't have much at all. He said, well, you go ahead and make me one first. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, y'all, you're, 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 you checked out on me already. He said, make me one first. Now, can you imagine if she posted that on social media? Yeah. Preacher man here said, instead of giving it to the boy, he said, give him, him first. Yeah. Oh, can you imagine what they'd have been saying? Wicked old preacher, man. They're all the same way. Just trying to take everything you have and give you nothing in return. Can't believe it. Can you imagine her going to her doctor? Excuse me, doc. I got this preacher's this crazy prophet here. He said he wants me to give him the last little bit of meal that my son and I had. We were going to eat it and die. And he said, bring him some first. What do you think I'll do? I think I'll kick him out of your house. Tell him to go find his own food. You got to take care of yourself. Come on, you know that's right. Yeah. Can you imagine her going to her neighbors? Can you imagine if you got everybody in her neighborhood and say, I got a question. Can we have a little vote right quick? I just want y'all to give me some advice right here. I'm trying to find out something. And this this prophet wants me to make him a cake that I was going to make for me and my son and die. And all I'm asking is, what do you think? Should I give him the cake or should I not? How many of you think they'd have said? Throw, don't give him nothing. You think they'd have said that? Uh, who is he? I don't know who he is. Elijah the, the Tishbite, never heard of him before. He just said they've been beating. Said the birds have been feeding me. Yeah, he's crazy. You need to get him out yeah. You know that's true. The authorities around her, the social media, the pressure would have said, you do not need to pay attention to that man of God, and I'm not doing it because this is Sweet Springs Baptist Church, nor because Brent Logan is its pastor, but I'm telling you, the number of people that I counseled in that room right back there, the number of times I told somebody that I prayed about what would God have me to tell them to do to try to get their life going the right direction, and they sailed right past it and went and followed somebody else on some social media account, hey, if you want God to greatly use you, listen, to the man of God he gave you. Amen. Yeah, but they're all, they, they're all flawed. You're right, just like you. Yeah. But God gives a pastor for that reason. Everybody needs a pastor. Come, come on, everybody needs a pastor. Amen. No, we don't. We just need to do that which is right in our own eyes. It didn't work out too good in the book of Judges. You know, I don't like what he says. I found out that people really love me as a pastor as long as I preach what they liked. Yeah. When I preached what they didn't like, ooh, some of y'all remember it. I remember me standing right, I preached a message on what the Bible has to say about education. Anybody here remember that? I can't forget it. (laughs) I was in 17, I bet it was in, it's not an exaggeration, at least 17 houses of people that were going to leave the church. Because I didn't support the homeschool side here and say, you're right. I didn't support the public school side here. I just said, here's the two times the Bible mentions education. Here's what we ought to worry more about training than we ought to worry about education. I'd rather be dumb as a box of rocks and know God. I think I said that. Yeah. Well, we're all leaving. <laughs> <laughs> and we're leaving. I thought, what in the world? Y'all told me I was a great young pastor. Why would you change your mind? <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, listen to what you got to say. Some of you men, when <laughs> you sit down with your pastor and he tells you something that you don't want to hear. You wonder why some family turns out right and some doesn't. Because a lot of times they're just not going to listen to what the pastor says. They're not going to listen to that man of God. They're going to listen to somebody else. They're going to find somebody on social media that will tell them what they want to hear. They're going to turn on television. They're going to go to college and have somebody else teach them exactly what they want to be associated with. The secret, the secret of this widow woman was that she listened to the man of God. And if you're saying right now, you're just saying that because he's your brother, you're deceived. I'm saying that because it's in the Bible. Did she listen to the man of God? Come on, did she listen to the man of God? She absolutely, she made him a cake first. And what God did with that, wow. Well, this point's not working too well. I'll go to point number four. Point number four. Look at verse number 12. Here's the fourth thing God greatly used. He used a weak widow woman. Some of you feel so weak. Undesirable ravens, an unknown preacher. Verse number 12, he used something that was severely limited, and she said, as the Lord God liveth, I have not a cake. I don't have a cake for you, but a handful of meal. That's all I got, a handful, and a little oil and a cruise, and behold, I'm getting two sticks. (coughs) She said, really, all I have is something that's very limited. Now, it doesn't say that she had an empty barrel. Come would you agree with me there? There's something in that barrel. And there's something in that cruise, but it's just not very much. Maybe at one time it was full. Maybe at one time that barrel meal was full to the top and she didn't worry about what was spilled when she scooped it out. Maybe that cruise of oil was so full that she sometimes would pour that oil in. Somebody, maybe she'd add a little extra on top of the bread or something else. But not, not, not now, now, now it's, it's gotten down to the, to the end. It's just limited. And I, I don't know how many of you feel this way. I don't know if it's just because I'm getting older. But you know, sometimes you look at your life and you say, I've got to the end of my resources. I've done all I can do. Disease has taken and it's messed with my body. Old age has crept in and my joints hurt and my my back hurts. And it's hard for me to sit through a service. It's hard for me to even go to church now. It's it's hard for me to do things that I used to could do if I wanted to do them. By the way, can I say this? You ought to take advantage of the health God gave you to get everything you can out of it while you can. There's a day coming you won't have that. I feel like I've given all I can give. I feel like I've expended everything that I can. I'm telling you, I talked to missionary after missionary the last several years that would come home and say, I can't go back. I can't do it anymore. I don't have anything left. I'm at the bottom. There's nothing left, Pastor. I don't want to get back on the plane tired. People sit in the office and say, I can't do it with my family anymore. I'm tired. I can't, I can't go another step. All, the, all these, pro- these financial problems, they've mounted up, and I feel like I can't breathe. And I've gotten to the very end, and I don't know what else to do. And yet this, this barrel of mill and this cruise of oil, you know what it did? It gave everything that it had. That's the secret. It had just a little bit left. Can I say this too? When you feel like you're old and you can't do anything anymore, go ahead and give it all you have anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I got a call from Carolyn Long the other day. I wish she was here tonight. Carolyn would call me. If I got calls from Carolyn Long once a month, I'd get them on a regular basis. Some of y'all may not know her. She would go down. She would wait for buses to come into that bus station down in Athens. And she got to where she had won the hearts of the drivers. They'd let her on, and she'd hand out tracks. And, and then, she got, then she had to, some kind of a tumor and had to have surgery. And I remember her calling me one day, and she said, Preacher, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't get out down to my buses, but I need to talk to people about the Lord. This is an older lady. She's not old. I didn't say she was an old lady. <laughs> older lady. And she said, but I, God gave me something to do. I said, what, Karen? She said, telemarketers. I said, what do you mean, tell them, Mark? She said, well, when they call me, instead of me hanging up, I'd start talking to them about Jesus. <laughs> she, said, she said, God's giving me a ministry to talk to people about Jesus on the telephone. And I thought, praise God, I hope some of the guys that call me call her, because I'm hanging up on my boy. I hope she gets to Jesus. And I know what it feels like when you feel used up. And you're to the end of it. there's a little lady over there in the Gospels that she got to the end of it. All she had left in her hand was two little mites and that was all the living she had. Jesus is in town. She said, you know what? That's all I got, but I think I'll just give him the rest of what I have. And we've been talking about that lady now for 2,000 years. Amen. I'm going to meet her one day. Over Christmas, there's a lady in the church where I attend. She has MS, severe. Um, her, Her fingers are just really, really knotted up. She sings in the choir every Sunday. And she played the piano. I couldn't believe she was playing the piano. She's over there. She's playing the piano. And this lady, it's for the offertory. This lady's got a violin. And they're playing in unison. And I'm, I'm totally captivated because I know she, she, has, she has to hurt every day of her life. And she's not complaining. She's sitting at that piano. And she's just doing what she can for the Lord, giving everything that she had. When she finished, I had to go up and give her some money. And I told her, I just want you to know, you really inspired me today. I know it must take a whole lot for you to get up there and do what you did. Because she just went ahead and gave it all. Can I say this to you? <coughs> you don't get to keep any of it anyway, so you might as well go ahead and give what you got right. to the Lord. That's right. Come on, right? That's right? You think we're going to get to heaven and say, well, I, just, I, just, I couldn't go another inch, but I went ahead and stepped that one more step. You get to heaven, you're not going to regret that at all. Amen. I didn't think I could make it another day. didn't think I'd ever be able to do it again. And I'm just saying the secret of all of that is That barrel and that, and we're, by the way, we're vessels. That barrel and that cruise gave everything they had. And I'm going to encourage you to do the same. Last thing, and I'm finished. How about that? I got one minute and 29 seconds. Verse number 20. This lady's son dies, We'll start in verse 19. He said to her, give me thy son. He took him by out of her bosom and carried him up to a law he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow which I sojourned by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. Here's the last thing. God used a passionate prayer. Come on, when somebody's dead, how many of you think it's, it's time to quit praying for that person? Because it's over with, right? Somebody say, that's an impossible prayer. God, God did raise people from the dead. And he could and he will one day. But we don't have prayer meetings after they die. When, somebody's, when somebody has left this world and gone to glory, we don't gather people around and say, okay, let's ask God to raise them up. No, we ask God to help the, those that are remaining behind. Somebody might even say this, that's a foolish prayer. I disagree. I think it's a prayer of faith. I think it's a prayer of faith. But it's a passionate prayer. Can I ask you a question? When's the last time you passionately got before God and begged Him to do something? When'd you cry out to Him? When, when, did, you, when, did, you, when did you make it known to God, I am really passionate about what's going on? Oh, God, that's what it's said. He cried. Now, in chapter 18, we're going to see Him cry again, aren't we? He's going to cry again, and listen, he cries out to God in 63 words, and the fire falls. He's begging God, 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 let the fire fall, and it does. And I'm telling you, I'm te- listen, you may feel like that you are as unspiritual as anybody in the world, that God's God not going to pay attention to what you have to say. I'm just going to tell you this. The Bible says, call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things thou knowest not. Thou hast not, because thou ask not. I'm just telling you this. I think a passionate prayer moves the hand of God. And God did a great thing. That boy got up. <laughs> There's some Baptists that need that kind of prayer Over yeah. yeah. Dead as two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. But you know God can raise people from the dead yeah. Yeah. with a passionate prayer. The secret is you've got to have faith in his power. Do you believe God has power to do the impossible? I do. Yep. Yeah. Come on, do you really? Yeah. <laughs> it remind me of a story I've told it here before. Gail remember it. <laughs> That guy that took a, he took him, he laid a big, big rope across Niagara Falls and he gets across and he walks across Niagara Falls and he comes back and we get back, everybody cheering him, oh, that was so great. And he takes a wheelbarrow and he takes, and he goes across in a wheelbarrow and they're watching him, he comes back in the wheelbarrow, that was so great. He said, great, how many, how many of you think I can do it again? Oh, we do, we do, we do. So, okay, who will be the first one to get in a wheelbarrow? <laughs> oh, we got a God that's great power. We're going to go to the bank we're gonna to go to the doctor I go to the doctor I have a bank we're gonna find the friends we have a God that has power to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think and God can use something that's weak and use something that's undesirable and use something that's limited and something that something that is unknown, he can do all of that if you've got faith in his power and faith in his message. If you're willing to give everything and you'll yield to his word, you know what I think? A great God can use people that are nothing Amen. to do something remarkable that will make a difference in eternity. Yeah. Maybe you need help with your faith tonight. Maybe you don't feel like you can take another step, but you say, you know, God, I'll just go ahead and give you everything i got in 2024. Maybe you need to say, God, I am going to take pastor's advice about what he said to us. I'm going to put that into practice and we'll see what you'll do with it. We love 1 Kings 18. But God uses some things that are just really small, insignificant to do something great. And I believe he'd do that if we would yield ourselves to him. Well, that lady had a great story to tell. Can you imagine Elijah sitting around saying, "Yeah, come here, let me tell you, man. I remember birds. That bird come down, it drop down a filet mignon, cooked medium rare, charred on the outside, and bread. I'm telling you, you never saw me some best bread I ever had in my life. Really, a bird? Oh, fed me every day." That would have danced all over that house while she was cooking. She'd flip up that, that meal in the air and throw a little oil around it, it just never got the bomb. I'd never seen anything like that. That woman was just full of joy. Now, we're going to wait till the rapture comes, and then we'll be all right then. Maybe there's something a little bit more.